What ideas does the word surrender bring to your mind? Waving a white flag, giving up, or maybe releasing something or letting go? In this new series, we'll examine the idea of surrendering to God. Our time, our talent, our treasure, everything we have is given to us by God. What does it look like to open up our hands back to Him? Join us for this new journey in Surrender. We're in a series, and I'm excited about it because uh, we're halfway there. Um, Been having a lot of fun with this. So today is part three of a series we've been doing called Surrender. And the whole series is based off of a passage that says, I am not my own. I was bought with a price. Part one, we laid the foundation that when Jesus saved us, he rescued us. It was a transfer of ownership. We were rescued from the kingdom of darkness, brought into the kingdom of God. We were never set free to roam about in our own little kingdom, be our own kings and establish our own little perfect life. That's not what it was about. I know we think that sometimes, but that's not the deal. So we started the whole series with an incredibly challenging question. I think every believer has to ask an answer. And that is, who is your king? Is it Jesus or is it me? Is it ourselves? You know, and, and, and that's, that's tough. So if you missed that, I want to encourage you to go back and get that online because it is the foundation for the whole series. The other three parts uh, are simply about three things that we find incredibly difficult to surrender to God, to, to give to him, to say, this is not mine. It's yours, God. I, I shouldn't have it in my hands. And so for part two, last week, we had our Gardner's Ferry campus pastor, uh, Brian Harkai, share with us the idea of surrendering our money. And if you were here, the good news is we didn't ask you for your money. We, we weren't saying tithe and give to the church. It wasn't that kind of message. It was another challenge. And that is, is your money being used to build your world or God's kingdom? That, that's, a, that, that's a tough question too, isn't it? And uh, so today and next week, we're going to look at two other things that I think are two of the toughest things for us to surrender to God. Some of you are saying, what could be tougher than money, right? I mean, come on, we, we love our money. Y'all didn't laugh at that one. All right, I dare you. Y'all go out, win the lottery, and come and try to let go of that ticket. Here you go. Yeah, yeah, we have stuff to let go of our money. But I think we've got two things that might be even tougher to let go of uh, than our money. And I'll tell you about one of them next week, so you got to come back for that. And we'll get to the other one in just a minute. First, let me tell you a little bit about me, and that'll get us into it. Uh, I'm an Eagle Scout. Do we have any Eagle Scouts in the room? Anybody with me? Uh, we're a, uh, a smaller crowd every day, um, and that's okay. I guess the world is changing, and well, for the matter, I've got three sons, and I didn't even have them in Boy Scouts either. So, uh, But the point to that is, because I was an Eagle Scout, all of my summers were spent at Boy Scout camp, right? And uh, I love the water, so I always did water stuff. I, I was a lifeguard. No props for that. All right, thanks, guys. You're the worst service so far. I got a, I got a few claps and a few, I got some cheers in, in the other one, but whatever. I don't feel loved. I'll just keep preaching. And uh, I taught the swimming merit badge, like the canoeing and rowboating boating merit badge and did the mile swim stuff and everything. And uh, the point to that is when I grew up and had kids, people would say, well, where are you taking your kids for swim lessons? Like nowhere, man, we're going to the community pool and I'm teaching them because I, I spent my whole life around water teaching people how to not go to the bottom. So, you know, that was, that was kind of a thing I'm gonna get my kids. So I taught all of my kids to swim except one. I had one of them was a little difficult to cooperate with the process. She kind of had another idea. And since I've only got one daughter, y'all have already figured out where that story is going. See, here's the thing. She had little floaties on that would keep her up. And, and that, she loved the idea of the floaties because she could go absolutely anywhere in the pool except down. And that was her perfect idea of swimming. 
But she also wanted to truly swim, and that meant having to give up the floaties and let me teach her to swim. And so there were conversations, because every time we'd go to the pool, which was quite often, it's literally like walk out our back gate. We live next to our community pool. And she would want to take her floaties off. Well, you can't swim. You can't take them off. Well, I don't want them off. Well, you got to have them on. So, you know, it was the back and forth every time. And so we finally got to a point where she's like, okay, I want to learn how to swim. And so as she took her floaties off, she had to give up her control of the circumstances and put her trust in me. And as I started to move away from the wall, there were screams, blood-curdling kind of screams. It sounded like I was dismembering this child one limb at a time if you were there. And so at this point, we have the entire pool's attention, and we have the, the lady that is supposed to be the pool monitor. Y'all know there are people in life that just don't need a title. I don't care. Not even pool monitor because they think it is their job to be your mama when your mama's not there, like to tell you everything. So this lady came over because my daughter is screaming bloody murder. And uh, she tells me that I need to leave this child alone. Mm, You don't tell me how to raise my child. You don't tell me that because my child is afraid that she should win the day. Fear does not rule in my house. That kind of gets me going a little bit. They're like, so I had a conversation with the lady and uh, I'm just going to leave it at this. I could not have invited her to our Easter service (laughs) after that. But that's okay because I'm assuming she lives next to one of you since she does not live next to me. And uh, you can invite her. But anyway, back to the point. So my daughter, now that she is, is having a hard time trusting me, and this lady with her additional voice of distrust comes into play, uh, I never taught my fourth child to, to swim. She, she figured that out somewhere else with apparently somebody she trusted later because she couldn't trust me. She loved her control. And uh, obviously you get the point here, right? This is one of the things that we find hardest to let go of is control of our own lives. One of the most difficult things for us to say, here, God, you take it, is control. And the reason is just as simple as with my daughter. It requires trusting God. And the problem with giving up control and trusting God is these are opposite forces. They are opposed to each other. They, they do not work with each other. To kind of give you an illustration, I asked the staff to give me this, this little scale up here just to help you see that when you've got total control of your life, you're like, this is great. This is happy. I know how it's turning out. I, I know where I'm going to work. I know what I'm going to make. I'm on salary. I, I mean, I've got everything the way that it needs to go. And then you might think, oh, well, you know, I'm not really having to pray a whole lot. I'm not really sure I have to trust God much. Let me see if I can, you know, add a little trust. But then you find out it goes completely the other direction. If you're trusting God, you've got like zero control. Next thing you know, God says, time for you to look for a new job. You get fired. You're like, whoa, I don't like that anymore. So we're going to stop praying and we're going to go back and try to take over a little bit more of, of control of my own life. And the problem is at some point we're like, well, I'm a Christian. I've got to figure out how to get like control of my life and balance that with, wait a minute, it didn't balance. And that exactly is my point. Because you cannot balance trusting God with controlling everything in your life. You're going to have one or the other. You're going to say, God, I trust you. Whatever you're doing is good for me. Or you're going to say, God, I am in control to make sure everything is good for me. So today what I want to do is share with you what I think is the secret to living a life where we surrender control to God. I think there's a secret. And and the reason I can say that is because I believe we can learn it from someone in the Bible. His name is Paul. He wrote a good bit of our New Testament. And I'm not sure there is a better example of anyone in all of Scripture who exemplifies what it means to surrender control of life. 
And so I think by the end of the day, we're going to see what his secret was, and hopefully we can grab onto a little bit of that and begin to surrender control. It's one of the things we love most. You guys with me? If you've got your Bibles, you can turn with me to Philippians chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 18. And Paul, he's, I wouldn't say begins, we're actually going to jump in the middle of something. And here's what he's saying at this point. He says, yes, oh, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. I'm rejoicing, everybody. I've got faith. It's going to be good. I'm excited. This is going to turn out. You don't need to worry about me. You're praying for me. I got the Holy Spirit. It's all good. Until his next words. This will turn out for my deliverance, whether by life or by death. Whoa, wait a minute, Paul. You're rejoicing? That like everything is good? You got it under control? You might die. You might live. You don't really, it doesn't matter. Wait a minute. How can you be good either way? Hey, guys, I'm rejoicing. I might die. I might live. I'm rejoicing. Are you kidding me? You see, the reason he could say that is because he was good with either answer. And what you need to know is he was not suicidal. He was not hopeless. You might find somebody who's who's depressed and hopeless and maybe even having suicidal thoughts. And they'd look at you and go, I don't care if I live, I don't care if I die. That's not what he's writing. He's rejoicing. I think he has a smile on his face as he writes this. See, he is not depressed. He's not hopeless. He's not suicidal. He is filled with faith. He's filled with hope. The truth is he has simply surrendered. It's something we struggle with, especially to the point of life or death, Paul. Are you kidding me? Yeah, he actually goes on to explain why. He says, look, for to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Let me live, I'm going to talk to everybody about Jesus. Kill me, I'm going to go be with Jesus. It's going to be good either way. I don't really have a problem with it. Matter of fact, for if, if I am to live in the flesh, then that's just going to mean fruitful labor for me. That means that people are going to get saved because I'm going to talk to them about Jesus. Uh, people are going to go to heaven. I'm going to start more churches. I'm going to write more of the Bible. You guys are going to read later. I'm totally good if I keep on living. Lots of great stuff's going to happen. Yet, which shall I choose? Well, I cannot tell. I'm actually hard-pressed between the two. And he tells us something very important. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. See, in a minute, we're going to learn more about his life. But at this point, he's kind of saying, look, I've, I've, I've done enough. I've been through enough. Still going through a lot. I've kind of lived a, a bad life for a while, and then I lived a really good life for a while. And the truth is, both of them, I've kind of had my fill. So it'd be really great if I could just go be with Jesus and be done. But to remain in the flesh, well, that's more necessary on your account. Because for you, I can make a difference. And then in his next sentence, he, he does tell us, so I'm pretty sure I'm not going to die yet. I'd love to, but God didn't ask my opinion. God seems to think I can do more good if I stay alive. So looks like I'm going to be sticking around to help all of you guys. That's what he tells them as he keeps going. And the question that we have to ask at this point is, how in the world could Paul be so surrendered that he was so good with whatever happened to him and whatever God decided for him? And I think we find the answer a little bit in understanding the life that he used to live compared to the one that he now lives. You see, the life that he now lives is utterly and completely in God's hands because he knows that that life, he doesn't deserve. It doesn't belong to him. 
You see, if you're new to church, let me share with you a little bit of his story. He actually used to be a guy named Saul. And when he was a guy named Saul, his favorite thing to do was to see Christians put in jail or killed. Matter of fact, he was trying to be a rising star in the Hebrew people, God's people, the religious leaders of the day. His, his goal was to become the priest or maybe even the high priest. And, and he was like, man, I, I'm, I'm going to do great things. And, and so he was threatened by all these people who wanted to follow Jesus. What, what are you guys doing? Y'all, y'all going to mess us up over here. No, no, we are God's people. We worship Yahweh and we are Jewish. And you're not going to be those little Christ, those Christians. And so he made it his personal goal to kind of earn his way up the ladder by being the one who took out that crazy cult that was happening at the time, all those people who followed Jesus. And so it was on a particular day. He was on a way to a city, and, and he had letters in his hand, permission granting him carte blanche to do anything he wanted with, with these Jesus followers, these Christians, when he found them. And, and, and he kind of had this attitude of like, you guys think you've seen something? Yeah, oh, you ain't seen nothing yet. You saw me put a few of them in jail. You saw me have a few of them stoned to death and killed. You ain't seen nothing yet. I'm going into this city. I'm rounding up every single one of them. I'm going to make sure there is not one Jesus follower left anywhere near this place. And it was on the road to that city, Damascus, that he met Jesus. Maybe you've heard the story. He was blinded. Here's the voice of God from heaven. And what he realizes, the day that he met Jesus, Jesus should have killed him. This was the biggest threat to his followers. There were people already in heaven because of Saul. It was his fault. He was dangerous. Truth is, he was kind of evil-hearted at the time. And the best thing Jesus could have done, you're out of here, how dare you? If you know the story, or if you don't, but you know Jesus' nature, he didn't kill him, did he? Instead, he forgave him and turned around and gave him the most incredible purpose of serving God, of helping people come to know who Jesus is. And see, Paul understood that. I don't think we quite get that. I was on this journey as a man named Saul, and Saul ran into the Lord of Lords, speaking to me from heaven, blinded to the ground, had to send a prophet to open my eyes. This is real, I'm not making it up, is the way he's thinking at this time. Like, it, yeah, he couldn't even be one of those, well, maybe I had a bad dream. Like, he was blind for three days. And a prophet comes and prays and opens his eyes. He hears the voice of Jesus from heaven. You can't make, he's like, okay, this is real. And at this point, he's like, I'm a completely different person. I deserved on that road that day to be struck dead. Because I was a bad person, living a bad life, living everything for myself. And yet, God forgave me. And I'm living this life now? Well, I don't deserve this. So God, whatever you want me to do with this life, you can do it. I, 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 it's not my life. It's not even my life to give. It's, it's not my life. Matter of fact, he's the one, Paul, that wrote to us in another part of Scripture. This says, for by grace you've been saved. This is not your own doing. It's a gift from God. The life you live, if you are headed to heaven, that life is a gift from God. You didn't earn it. Every one of us, we're the reason that Jesus had to die on the cross. Y'all with me? We're the reason. And so we're forgiven. We're saved. Look, the life you are living for yourself and your bank account and your toys and, and that's headed towards eternal punishment, you're welcome to that one. 
But the life that is headed towards heaven because you are forgiven because Jesus died on the cross for you, it's not yours. And Paul got this. Like, it's not my life. Because up until this point, he had literally lived his best life. He had climbed every ladder he could. He was climbing his way to priest, but he was, also, he was born as one of the people of God and a religious leader among the people of God. They didn't look at every career the same. So if you were going to be a priest and, and elevated and the religious leaders, everybody and the people of God were like, woo, you know, the Israelites. But on top of that, he was born a Roman citizen. So since Rome ruled the known world, man, when he was in Israel, he was the deal. When he left Israel, he was the deal. He had a Roman passport. He could go anywhere. He could do anything. And he was climbing the ladder. He was everything. That was his best life. And his best life got him nothing but condemning Christians, rebelling against God, hating Jesus, and headed for hell. And so he's looking at this life going, you're kidding me. On that road to Damascus, you didn't kill me. You forgave me. And now you're letting me preach for you? Whatever. Whatever. Prison, I'm cool with that. Let me out of prison, I'll keep preaching. That's cool with me. It's your life anyway. I mean, I don't deserve it. Die in prison, I'm cool with that too. I'm gonna get to finally be with you. You know, it's been cool ever since that day you talked to me from heaven. <laughs> I'm looking forward to getting to heaven and talking to you more. I mean, do y'all understand how Paul viewed this? See, Saul became Paul. And he literally changed his name because he recognized he, he, those were both his names, by the way. Saul was his Hebrew, people of God name. Paul was his Roman name in the Gentile world. Wouldn't that be funny if you had to go ha have different names everywhere? Yeah, and I, actually, I was just in Kenya, and th they have two names. And they have a name you probably can't pronounce, uh, which they would laugh when they would introduce me with that name, and then I'd try to say it. And then they would give me their uh, English name, their Christian name, or uh, the other way they would describe it, and it's true, is their colonized name. And it's very funny because one name is so tribal I couldn't begin to pronounce it, and the other name is Henry. <laughs> okay, Henry. Doesn't quite fit the environment, but uh, that's how you... And so Paul had been Saul, and he figures, no longer am I going to try to be a Hebrew priest, great among the Hebrew people, killing all those Christians. Actually, now I'm going to be Paul, living a life, trying to make Jesus famous in the Gentile world, all around, seeing how many people I can get to come to heaven. That guy died. He's dead. Don't call me Saul anymore. I'm not that. And you see, I, I think we need to understand that, that we need to change. And, and, and we maybe even need to do that same thing, like show up at work tomorrow and say, man, I, I, I met Jesus yesterday at church. Hey, Bob, how you doing? Oh, I'm not Bob anymore. I'm, I'm Johnny. I've always wanted to be Johnny. Johnny Cash, one of my heroes. So y'all just call me Johnny from now on. Uh, not, not sure we can do that. Your name tag still says Bob. <laughs> Paycheck still says Bob. Nope, nope, I'm not Bob anymore. I'm Johnny. Bob died yesterday at church. You look a lot like Bob. You sound like Bob. You're being a little weird. Hey, uh, Johnny Bob, that's how Southern names come to be, by the way. <laughs> Want to go to lunch? We know how much you love cheeseburgers. Nope, nope. Bob loves cheeseburgers. Johnny Dutton anymore. I'm eating a salad today. Somebody call the Department of Mental Health here. We need some help here. We got Bob trying to be Johnny. Y'all see what I'm saying? Imagine if we tried to do what Saul Paul did. Like, that guy's dead. And now I'm someone else. And I'm glad you're laughing. Because the reality is, how difficult is it to say, whatever, because that person died. Paul got it. We have to answer the question. He answered it. 
You and I still face it today. Whose life are you living? Whose life are you living? Saul's life or Paul's life? Are you living the one that you had before Jesus? Or are you living the one that comes after Jesus? The one that's redeemed, that's transferred into his kingdom, that's paid for by his blood, that's not yours, you are not your own. Or are you still living the one that you're trying to make much of? Matter of fact, I'd like to share with you another verse that Paul wrote. It's one of the most famous verses that he wrote. and I think it's the greatest verse about surrender of any at all. He says this, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. There are two incredibly strong phrases in there. These terms, I think we read them, we sing them, they make our songs, and we say these and we memorize this verse. But these two phrases, I don't think we've ever really taken time to think about. I was crucified. I no longer live. I was crucified. You see, when when Paul wrote the words, I was crucified, he, he meant it. You and I today, we have to ask if we do, but he meant it because he knew Saul was done. Matter of fact, to prove my point, later in this book, I won't read it to you, but later in this book of Philippians that we're studying today, he wrote his obituary. He said, look, I was born of the greatest tribe. I was one of God's people. I had the best teachers. I had become this. I was climbing that ladder. I'd been there. I'd done that. Everybody knew my name. And then he says, but I count it all as loss. I'm dead. I don't have any of it anymore. It's not with me anymore. And I think he got the picture that when Jesus hung on the cross, so did Saul. And the idea that that there's a guy named Paul walking the earth, that had to come from the idea of Jesus coming out of that tomb. And that's why baptism is so important, by the way, because it is that very picture that when you go into the water, that was a different person. The person before Jesus is not the same person after you meet Jesus. Something has to change. As a matter of fact, I think we need to do a little more of what Paul did. We need a tradition, maybe. And I'm going to get in trouble for this because it's going to be weird. But I think when we start preaching Jesus from now on, we need to say, hey, would you come down front, grab a sheet of paper, and write your obituary? And then get the baby book name right there and pick a new name for yourself. Like, we, we, we need a better mental image of what has changed. You see, Paul knew there was that day, that road, going to Damascus. It was a line in the sand. And I bet some of us, if we were to try to tell somebody about when we met Jesus, well, I can't even remember what day of the week it was. I don't even know if it was summer, winter. Yeah, you know, I mean, not, not much really changed all that. I mean, you see what I'm saying? There's supposed to be a line in the sand. I think we literally do need to take time and write an obituary that says, before I met Jesus, I was living for the American dream. I was living for my career. I made it all the way to Colonel. I made it to CEO. I was working on my PhD. I had the biggest bank account of any of my friends, but it doesn't matter now. I made it to General, but it doesn't matter now. I I became the principal instead of the teacher. I made teacher of the year. I made principal of of the century, whatever. But it doesn't matter now. I graduated first in my class. I'm going to go to Harvard, but a Harvard degree burns. It doesn't matter now. I think we need to write our obituary and say, I count all of this as loss. Because if it doesn't help Jesus, it doesn't help anything. It's not worth anything. He says, what good does it do that I was a Hebrew of Hebrews? Anybody can follow Jesus. 
What good does it do? I was going to be a priest. I don't even believe it anymore. What good does it do? Because now I'm a follower of Jesus. I was crucified. And I think our biggest problem as Christians, especially in in our very comfortable American world as Christians, it's a little different around the world, I'll tell you the truth. It tends that when people have less, uh, they, they get this a little bit better. We have a lot. We'll, we'll just be honest. Can I say that? We're, we're some of the richest people in the world. And so what we do, we spend all of our time with our dreams and our hopes and our money and our stuff and, and our collection of things and our accolades and our papers on the wall that when we give our lives to Jesus, we just ask God to like tag along. God, would you join me? Would you bless me? And he does want to bless you. That's another sermon for another day. But the greatest blessing is when he starts blessing the life that he gave you as a gift instead of the one you're still trying to live with the name Saul. I mean, think, think about what would happen if instead of us going, hey, everybody, I got saved at church yesterday, so I, I, I read my Bible a little bit, add a little Jesus. Hey, come on, let's go out and do whatever we used to do last week. And instead it became that guy, that girl, no longer. From now on, you're gonna see a new me. And truth is, I don't really care. Live, die, prison, free. Do it all. Because this is not my life. The life I had that I earned, that one's gone. Every minute, every breath, every day of this one, it's a gift. It's a gift. So he says, I was crucified. Then the second thing he says, I no longer live. Let me just try to make this like as obvious as I can. Anybody in here a control freak? I'm a control freak, I'll admit it. You can, you can join me. I have a very specific way I like things. I, I think you should be able to open the refrigerator with your eyes closed and pull out the coconut milk. <laughs> I really do. Um, I, 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 just, I just think the world should, should, should operate by a very neat set of principles, of course, which I have written. <laughs> it's called a control freak, right? But here's my point. Here's how controlling some of us are. We're telling people, when I die, I want to be cremated or I want to be buried. I've even, I've even bought my plot. I've bought the place where I want to, to, even though I'm six feet under, look and see the flowers over there. I've, I've bought where I want to be. I mean, like we're even trying to control like when we're gone. And here's the thing. It is no longer I who live. Like I'm dead. Let me tell you something about dead people. They have no preferences. They don't. They have no voice. Even if you had a preference, you don't have it anymore and you don't get to say it. You, you have zero care. Nobody cares. I mean, you, you're telling them, I want, I want to be buried here. And they're like, well, that's too bad. He stiffed me the last three Christmases. I ain't burying him there. I'm burying him over next to Uncle Ted because he hated Uncle Ted. I'm going to make them fight it out all the rest of eternity. <laughs> He's like, I want to be cremated. My ashes spread upon the ocean. They're like, I ain't paying boat fare for you, man. I'm just going to dump them out the window just as I'm driving down the interstate, you know, that kind of thing. I mean, like, and you don't care because you're with Jesus. You're like, I don't care what you do. It doesn't matter to me because I'm dead. And that's why Paul could say, look, uh, you kill me. I don't care. Let me live and work. I don't care because this is dead. I'm not here. What you see in here is Jesus living in this life in the flesh, just trying to make God famous upon the earth. I think we have to understand that the reason 
Paul was so good with not worrying about his circumstances is because he knew whose life he was living. But the reality, if you want to know if you struggle with control issues and surrendering control to God, saying, hey, God, you can have control, I trust you, is look at how you respond to your circumstances. That'll tell you everything. When you're able to go, I'm good, I don't care, then you're in the right direction. So let's back up a little bit because I want to show you how Paul responded to his circumstances. This was actually in the middle of the passages where we started. We're going to back up to verse 12. And he says, look, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. I want you to know what has happened to me, I'm good with. Are you sure about that, Paul? Yeah. I want you to know what has happened to me, I'm good with. It's, it's out of good purpose. I'm good with it. You know what Paul means when he says, I want you to know what has happened to me? Well, he's got a long life and a lot of story. We might get to more of that here in a moment. But at this particular instance, he's a couple of years into a difficulty. You see, at one point, he was simply telling people about Jesus. Broke no law, except he was telling people about Jesus. And so the people that he used to be friends with when he was a Jewish leader trying to kill Christians, now that he's telling people about Jesus, now his old co-workers and friends want to kill him. And so they actually made a plot to kill him more than once. And they actually implemented the plot. And so they had just tried to kill him. And in order to procure his safety, they transferred him and put him in jail. Isn't that a great way to keep you alive, put you in jail? And so they transferred him to another city where the officials were, still in Israel. And so that he had a chance to to kind of appeal. He's like, "Well, well, those people over in Jerusalem that tried to kill me, well, you know, they're just upset I was talking about Jesus. So he would talk to one leader who was kind of a Roman official, and he had talked to a, a, a religious leader, and he kept hoping one of them would say, you've done nothing wrong, I'm, I'm setting you free. <laughs> the problem is neither one of them wanted to be on the hook, and one of them in particular seemed to think Paul was great entertainment. Hey, y'all, I'm kind of bored. Can y'all go get that weird guy who keeps talking about the invisible dude? I want to hear more of that story. And then Paul would pressure him to give his life to Jesus. He's like, I heard enough of that story. You get on out of here. I'll I'll call you back in six months or something. He spent two years imprisoned, being tossed back and forth between officials. Nobody would let him go. Two years. And he starts to think, well, wait a minute. I I think they're going to kill me, and um, I still got work to do. So he says, I'm a Roman citizen. I appeal to Caesar. I deserve a trial before Caesar. Well, that means they got to put him on a boat and send him to Rome. So they put him on this boat, and he gets shipwrecked. Whew, my goodness, Paul, poor you. It's okay, though. He didn't drown. He makes his way to the island where he is bitten by a poisonous viper. But he didn't die, so that's good news. So they they eventually have another ship that comes by months later after living off of coconuts, maybe. I don't know. What do you have there? And, and, and then he makes his way onto this ship where they put him back in chains and take him to Rome. And he's like, yes, I'm here for trial. Nope, you're here for jail. And they put him back under house arrest to be guarded the whole time. And that is when he wrote the words, yes, and I will rejoice. Whether by death or by life, this is going to be good. I'm okay. I've been shipwrecked. I've been imprisoned. I've been set free, bit by a snake, put back in prison just to wait on my trial. Seems like that's going to take a little bit. Apparently, Caesar's on vacation. I'm not sure what's happening there. 
I want you to imagine if you went through that. Imagine if you were traveling somewhere in another country that was a little less kind to our faith. And you get arrested and put in prison simply for talking about Jesus. Let's say that you decided to go on a mission trip with Grace Life this summer. And you get arrested and put in prison simply because you believe in Jesus. You are representing Jesus. And I want you to think about what you would write. Remember, he wrote, hey guys, I'm all good. Got your prayers, got the Holy Spirit. Might that go be with Jesus? Super cool. Might stay here and keep working. Secondary cool. That was his letter. I bet every one of our letters would be, please call the embassy. Please get me out of here. Write our senator. Start a GoFundMe page. (laughs) Would any of us actually write, you know, the most amazing thing is happening? Like nobody in this jail has heard of Jesus. It's the most amazing thing God could do. Leave me here. I'll either get them all saved or they'll kill me. I don't care. Anybody in here writing that letter? See, what happens when you don't like the circumstances that you face? That shows where our control and surrender comes into place. Do you get upset? I do. If things aren't working out the way that I want them to, I get upset. Do you get upset with other people? Oh, heck yeah. Usually I try to blame them. Do you get upset with God? Of course we do. Matter of fact, if you've ever found yourself going, well, I just need to forgive God. Let me tell you, you got some bad theology, first of all. (laughs) But second of all, that's just the way you have phrased, I guess I'll stop being mad at God for actually being in charge of this thing that I called my life. I thought it was supposed to go my way, get everything the way I wanted. How dare he? And he crossed me. Well, I guess I'm done being mad at him, you know. Okay, I'll get over it. But next time, God, you better get your act together. Have a little bit of struggle sometimes forgiving God because we have a hard time actually recognizing it's not our life. God didn't do anything wrong. Paul goes on to say, look, what has happened to me has served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is actually for Christ. See, here's the cool part. Paul wanted to preach to the ends of the earth. So God took him to the center to Rome, the center of the known world. And he put him in jail so that he could talk to people every other Christian would avoid. No Christian was going to go and talk to Roman soldiers and leaders who would put them in jail or kill them. So here is Paul as a captive audience for for years under house arrest. And here's the thing. If a Roman soldier left their post, they were killed for doing so. So they couldn't go anywhere. They just had to listen. And so you can imagine Paul saying, hey, let's talk about Jesus. Oh, you don't want to? That's okay. Because you're going to be back tomorrow and I'll still be here for about two years. We're going to talk about Jesus. Oh, we're in prison? That's cool. Anybody in here doesn't know about Jesus? I'd love to tell you about him. You see, what do we do when our life goes a direction we don't want it to go? What happens when your flight gets canceled and you're going to spend an extra four hours in the Delta Lounge? Put your headphones in, dial up four hours worth of podcast. Or do you say, God, wonder why I'm here? Start looking around the room. Holy Spirit, who do you want me to talk to? You see, that's why Paul was able to surrender because he saw every moment of his life as an opportunity. We see every moment of our life as a struggle that we want God to get us out of. 
God, help me with this. God, get me out of this. God, stop me. God, get me away from this job. God, do this. You ever think that you might have lost your job because God wants you to tell the lady in the unemployment line about Jesus? You ever thought that you might be getting a ticket for going one mile over the speed limit, which you think is highly unfair because God wants you to invite the police officer to church? You ever think that you might be sick and can't get better no matter how much people pray for you because the doctor needs to know about Jesus? Do you ever think that you hate your science teacher because she needs Jesus and that's why you're in the class? That's what Paul thought. I mean, Paul, listen, every opportunity Paul had, it was just to to do whatever God had him to do in that moment. One time he was in jail, one of the many times. One time he's in jail. And so he's like, hey, it's about midnight, hadn't gone to sleep. Why don't we start a worship party up in here? Yep, we're just gonna praise and worship. And so Paul and Silas just begins worshiping God. Earthquake comes, shakes the foundations, all the doors fling open. And Paul says, ah, I've been in jail, I've been out of jail. Who cares about the doors? I'm still worshiping, we're having fun. And so the jailer gets saved and so does his whole family. Paul says, see, that's why you stay in jail even when the doors are open. <laughs> the, the time that they put him on the boat, uh, he's in chains. He's walking on the boat in chains. And he goes, hey, can somebody get the captain? I got a prophetic word for him here. I got to talk to the captain. I mean, you're a prisoner, Paul. Are you kidding me? Yep. Wherever I am, chains, not in chains. And think about this. The fact that he was in prison so much of the time is the reason that he couldn't go and preach the words that we read. So he had to write them down. And because life didn't go the way he wanted it to go, you and I have most of our New Testament. Paul's saying, man, if you guys would just let me out of here, I'd go and preach. They'd never hear it again. But since you won't let me out of here, I'm going to write it. And some little dude in Columbia, South Carolina, 2,000 years from now, so we'll be preaching these words. So thank you. Just keep me locked up. It's going to be great. God's going to use this, whatever you do. See, how do you see the circumstances of your life you can't stand? Because Paul, here's the story of his life. Five times. He was whipped and scourged 40 lashes minus one. They believed the 40th one would kill you. So they had to do 39 and stop. They used these whips that had multiple ropes that had pieces of bone and metal tied into it so that as you were hit, it ripped the flesh off your body. The same thing they did to Jesus. He endured that five times. And as soon as he could get up, with blood pouring down his back, he would walk on a dusty road in the Middle Eastern sun to the next city and preach about Jesus again. So they would whip him again. And he would get up, blood pouring down his back and go to the next city. So they'd whip him again, five times. Three times beaten with rods, one time stoned to death, except God decided he wasn't done. So he lived. Three times shipwrecked. And he spent so much time in prison, I'm not even sure we can count it. We actually have to leave the Bible and go to historians of that era who tried to keep track of where Paul was after he finished writing the scripture that we have from him. How much time did he truly spend in prison? And yet, This is the man who says, to live is Christ, die is gain. Whipped, beaten, shipwrecked, prison, heaven. God, you choose, whatever. Because Saul's dead. 
Saul lived his best life, and it got him nowhere. And more importantly, Saul lived his best life, and it got your kingdom nowhere. So that guy's dead. Whatever you want. Whatever you want. We started uh, our week of prayer and fasting in January. Had someone come to me and tell me their story of what they were going through. And well, honestly, at the time, it was one of those stories where as a pastor, it makes me look at them and say, I'm so sorry. Except they stopped me and said, oh, don't, don't be sorry for me. I'm good. I think it'd be best if you heard his story from his own mouth. If you would turn your attention to the screen. My name's Adam, and I've been coming to church here for a while. And so I grew up here in Columbia. I went to Spring Valley High School, so I'm a local, local fella. My career began. I ascended in my career through different positions to where I, I now am in a great position and got married when I was about 30. A couple years after we were married, we were blessed with two children, a boy and a girl, and uh, moved from our little house to a bigger house. You know, things kept getting better. We ultimately bought a uh, very nice house, a house that I never thought I could have afforded. Every morning, you know, I was able to get up and drink that coffee and sort of sit back in the big leather chair and think I had it all under control. Just thinking that, you know, I had it all figured out. And then about 2018, things started to change a little bit. I ended up going through a divorce. That with the divorce also comes the separation of assets. So all these things that I had, all these toys or uh, you know things that you shine up and ride around the lake with were no longer mine. So all my plans about retiring at a certain age and ultimately uh, having it all, you know, all were gone. And so 2019, I moved to a much smaller house by myself. Um, at that point, I'm, COVID hits, so now you're even more alone, as we all know, as you go through COVID. And then uh, I started feeling ill. I thought it was just aches and pains of a 50-year-old man. And the more I started feeling bad, I realized maybe it's something more. So I ended up going to my doctor. And through a series of tests, I ended up being diagnosed with cancer. Uh, so now I'm alone in this little little house in Columbia, and I'm told that not only is it cancer, which is bad enough, but it's a terminal form of cancer that I struggle with today. But at that time, that loneliness, that loss of control, going from what I thought was that perfect life to now sitting all by myself in pain uh, was tough to realize that I had no control of any of that. Um, that was something the Lord put on me. It took me a while to understand that I'm not in control of that. And I had just had to surrender as I have now all of those feelings that I had that I can determine how I'm going to get out of bed today and what I'm going to do tomorrow and how my retirement's going to be or how my life's going to be, all that changed. So I struggle with pain and discomfort now, but every day that I can get out of bed, it's the Lord's will to get me out of bed. I know that he could cure me of this cancer if he so chose to do so. But I don't pray for that anymore. At first, when I was really scared, I prayed for him to take this cancer from my body. And then I realized that's not his goal. His goal is to have his will be done with me. So it's whatever he decides. If this cancer takes my life, then it's his will, and that's how it's going to be. 
if he chooses to keep me here for a couple more years and I get to visit with folks here at church and be with my children, then that's what will be. And so that's how I pray now. I've surrendered to him and he's in control. So that's what I asked him for, is not to cure me, but just that his will be done uh, through me, whatever he decides. It's not every day as a pastor when someone tells you they're going to heaven way sooner than their childhood dreams would have written that they look at you and say, but I'm good. Matter of fact, many of you, I think, today would say, Jimmy, that's, that's kind of an idealistic message. Sure, Billy Graham could say that, and, and there's a few people out there, but really? You really want me to say, prison's good? I got kids back home, man. I got to get home. You want me to say it's okay if I never see my grandkids born? You really? Jimmy, you really want me to say that? All I know is it's what Jesus said before he's crucified. Lord, not my will, but yours be done. All I know is it's what Paul did every single day that he was no longer Saul. Not my will. Death, life, prison, free, doesn't matter. As long as whatever is happening to me advances the gospel. See, giving up control and surrendering, but once you figure out you're not living for the American dream and retirement and vacation, but you're living to make Jesus famous, well, if the mission statement of your life changes, everything changes, amen? I think the ultimate sign of surrender is when we can say, God, your will, with a smile, and we pray for us. God, today we just have to confess to you, this is one of the hardest things we could ever do while here on earth, is to say that uh, your way is better. We sing the song, but to say it, when things are going the ways that we don't want, to acknowledge that we're gonna let go of things in this world so that we can hold tighter to things of the next life. Well, God, we struggle. So today we confess that to you, and God, we say, would you help us? Would you help us be people who are able to write an obituary and say, that's dead. And now I live a life that is not mine. God, would you help us to live the life that you gave us, the one that's a gift that only has one purpose? to advance your kingdom upon the earth. Help us. If you just stay in a place of prayer, I wanna to speak to those of you that have yet to make Jesus your king. Once again, Jesus came, he lived a perfect life, he died on the cross so that we could be forgiven for our sins, so that the life we were living, making much of ourselves, separated from God, well, we could be rescued from that one. We could be given a life where we are right with God. No more guilt, no more shame eternal life with him in heaven. If you've never made that exchange, I want to help you do that right now, wherever you are. Simply say something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you. I thank you that you died for me. And so today I choose to live for you. I thank you that I'm loved. I thank you that I'm forgiven. 
in my simple prayer here today. Would you fill me with your spirit and give me a life of great meaning in your kingdom? Amen. Would you all help me celebrate with those people? Amen.